Hey homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turn marketer, turn interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is you guys are coming with me. All right, guys, I'm here today with Michaela Burns from Mint Decor, which is a uh, design firm based in Toronto. Hi, Michaela. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. So I was just telling Michaela that she's my first local designer. And honestly, well, I haven't tried like super hard, but I've definitely reached out to like four people (laughs) and everybody, you're the first one. Even we had a little bit of trouble, like actually making it happen, but Mm -hmm. it's been really hard to lock these people down. So I'm really happy to be talking with you. And I'm, I'm a little more nervous than I normally would be. I don't know what it is because I feel like we're probably going to meet in person one day. So I feel like a little more awkward about it, but this is going to be good. That's great. So, okay. In case you're not aware, the premise of my podcast is... I started it very selfishly as an excuse to pick people's brains. And so the questions I ask are very selfish and they're just a lot of the times I want to know kind of your backstory, but then I'm going to ask you questions about things that maybe I'm struggling with and I'm curious how other people deal with it. Does that sound okay? Yes, you've got to fill me in on your side of the story then too. I'm happy. Like if you have a question for me, I'm happy to share you with you like what I do or whatever that looks like. But okay, why don't you tell everybody just your backstory? Like when you started your business, did you go to school? Like let everybody know how you got into this business. Okay. So I went to university for communications and uh, I've always had an interest in in communications um, and the arts. I was raised by my dad's a carpenter, my mother's an artist. So that, you know, I was raised with a lot of artistic influences. Um, But then, you know, as many of us do, we graduate university and we take the first real looking job that comes our way. I had truthfully always wanted to be an interior designer. I actually found an old journal in my childhood home. And in, I think when I was about 16, I had written down the address of Martha Stewart's internship application. Oh my God. <laughs> the mailing address, of course, it would yeah. have been, right? <laughs> um, and so anyway, that's, that's the back back story. So I were, ended up working for 10 years as an HR consultant in Vancouver. And then in 2010, my husband and I moved to Toronto. And at that time, we decided to build a cottage um, in Prince Edward Island, where I was from, where my father was. So we went through the process of um, building and decorating. And all through the time, I would post pictures to Facebook. So I was, it was just sharing initially with family and friends. Every week, I'd post some pictures of the progress. And the Facebook album started to gain a lot of followers. And this is really before I understood the concept of followers. Yeah. And I would be getting comments from people and um, people would say, oh, I've been watching your cottage, you know, develop. Um, and then that fall after the cottage was done and it was such a re- rewarding process, I, um, I just thought, you know what, this is the world's way of telling me that we support you. Like you've got mm-hmm. our backing. I love it. And I remember sitting in an airport hotel with my husband outside of Halifax on the way back from a family wedding, eating like bad nachos and drinking cheap red wine and, and deciding, okay, that's it. I'm going to do this. So I looked into the programs that were available in Ontario and I picked the George Brown program because it was evenings and weekends. Yeah. And Did uh, you have so kids I, at this point? No, I didn't have okay. kids yet. And I wanted to have kids. I actually remember thinking, well, I'm going to try both of these things. I'm going to try going back to school and I'm going to try having kids and we'll see which one works out. <laughs> and there I was pregnant at George Brown. So they both worked out, thankfully. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I, kept my, I kept my real job, my corporate job until my maternity leave. So I finished half the program basically before I went on maternity leave. And then um, I think when my, young, my, when my son was about six months old, I went back and, um, and did most of the rest of the George Brown program then. So also during that time, I got hired by a company in Toronto called Modern Staging. Mm-hmm. And I actually met them through the George Brown program and they were looking for some stager slash designers to join their team because they were getting increasingly more requests for design. And so they wanted somebody with a bit of that experience as well. So for two years from 2013 to 2015, I worked for modern staging 
It was a great job run by another Toronto mom, really great mentor to me. Um, I was able to set my own hours. I worked part-time and worked my way up to about four days a week. And then I had my second son and I made the decision as I was heading into that maternity leave that I wasn't going to come back to staging. I was just going to focus on design. Mm-hmm. Because in my last year with modern staging, I was doing more and more of the design and it was truly what I wanted to do. Um, and there's a big difference to people out there. I, a lot of people start in, in staging. Uh, I don't, did yeah. you have any experience with staging yourself? No. Yeah. And, and I agree wholeheartedly. It's very different. And when people approach me about staging, I'm like hard no on that. I, it's, it's great experience. Like, it's not to me at all. No, it's great experience because it teaches you how to decorate a room fast. You basically yeah. have one day to figure it out. So, right. Right. And so you get, you get a lot of volume of experience with different spaces and clients yeah. and personalities, but you don't get to build those long-term relationships and you don't personalize the space. You specifically are depersonalizing it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I ended up starting Mint Decor. Like I actually launched it as a business yeah. in early 2016. Okay. So I've been running Mint Decor on my own for three years. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank so, you. Okay. So you went to, okay, the George Brown course, because I don't actually, I didn't, and you finished the course. I actually have three courses left, embarrassingly. <laughs> no, you know what? I, never 20, I think there's 21 courses in the program. I came oh, yeah. pretty close. And, um, and now it's just one of those things that's sitting yeah. on my to-do list. Although now I believe as soon as I've been, had my company for five years, then I can apply for the accredited member status. Yeah. By proof of work so yeah and do you do you, how much how valuable would you say the course was it, it, like when you think about your like on the on the job learning <laughs> it was okay it, it's not the be-all end-all but it was extremely valuable yeah I, I would say pay, sorry, sorry go ahead, ahead. Where are you <laughs> um the parts that I remember the most well, floor planning skills the basics right drafting understanding floor plans mm-hmm. really helpful um, understanding like the fabrics course at the time when I was there was taught by the guy who ran the Robert Allen showroom. Mm-hmm. So this guy knew fabrics. And before that, all I knew was the, the difference between cotton and polyester. Yeah. You know, I had no concept of all the different upholstery grades and everything like that. Um, lighting. I, it was, I found a lot of the technical skills to be extremely important where the, the program lacks and what you really need to figure out on your own is the business. Yeah. And maybe it's evolved now. I, I'm going to assume that they now have a course in that program about marketing and media, maybe, you know uh, because I don't it's think such it, a big part of our job. Yeah, doesn't really seem like it is. But you know mm-hmm. what is like, people always complain about that. But then I, it's hard because to me, it's like, you're a designer and you're a business owner. Like those are two different things. You yeah. just happen to be a designer who has their own business and I think it's unrealistic for us to expect us to be taught that in school because you hear it all over the Facebook groups and, and people like, I really wish that, you know, they could have taught me this, this and this, yeah. but it's like, it's two different things and you're not, you're paying to learn to be, how to be a designer. You're right. You're, Cause you could, you can do a decade of learning in business, but I think it would be a little bit more help. would have been helpful if we had had some entrepreneur one Oh one. Mm-hmm. training. Like I was in a taxi the other day in an Uber taxi. I sound so old. I know. I was like, um, really? Was it a legit taxi? Real taxi? No, it was an Uber. <laughs> um, on the way to a meeting and I took a few phone calls on the way that were work-related. And so the, the taxi driver said, the Uber driver said, <laughs> um, are you a designer? Yes. And then he said, uh, when did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And I laughed and I was like, well, I didn't. <laughs> Nobody decides, like we never, yeah. most of us enter this as the artist, not as the yeah. entrepreneur. Um, and that's been a huge learning curve. It's also been extremely rewarding, but it, uh, it definitely is a huge learning curve. Yeah. I, and that's also one of the things where I think a lot of people don't totally realize that it's, mm-hmm. it's fully 80, 20, like mm-hmm. it's 80 business, 20 design. And yeah. I think um, not everybody can do it. No, you know, sometimes it is better to just work for somebody and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, Okay. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, Modern staging, when you worked for modern staging, what would you say was some of the biggest key learnings that you, you, the nuggets you took with you from working there? Sure. So some of the basics were just around space planning. So understanding in your typical living room, how many items of furniture can you fit, you know, ratio size of coffee table to sofa and being able to make some really quick assessments about that 
that was, that was great. The, the flip side, the negative side of that is that you actually become a bit formulaic. Yeah. Um, because you have to in staging. Yeah. So yeah. in design, I had to challenge myself to think a little bit differently. Um, the other huge nugget, and it was thanks to Laura Dobell, who owned Modern Staging, and like I said, acted as a great mentor, is she really taught me how to decide if you wanted to work with a client or not. So I, because I was so early in the business, I thought, oh, someone wants to work with me. Let's do this. And I'd give Laura the briefing on it. And I remember she would say, do you actually want to work with this person as a client? And uh, that was a huge lesson very early. I'm really glad I learned that is that we don't have to accept everyone that wants to work with you and you need to find good ways to qualify who are the right people to work with you. Okay. Well, then let's check about that because that is so... (laughs) It's one thing to be able... It's so hard. You get those red flags or whatever. You don't click. But sometimes, as you know, those clients, even though you're feeling like this is not clicking for me or... More than more times than not, I feel like it's just there's something in your gut that's saying like they're not super open to anything I'm saying. You yes. know, the client that's like, oh no, you know, yeah, but I tried that and and it's just constantly whatever it is. It's easy to mentally say, no, I shouldn't be working with this client, but like how do you actually articulate that to a client in a way that that doesn't burn bridges, that isn't right. offensive? So what did did she give you any tips on that? Or have you been able to there's a couple of different ways because there's okay. the one type of client where you just are concerned that they're going to be a lot of work, yeah. that they're going to have like a really high touch. They're going to want a lot of communication. It's going to take them a long time to make a decision. And so it's not necessarily that they're a bad fit. It's just that they might not be a right fit for your kind of standard pricing model. Yeah. And so in those cases, I learned to just price high. Mm-hmm. And typically that's enough for them to say no thanks. Yeah. And because if they say yes, you have to be able to follow through and still be getting value for your time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I have learned that and that has been very helpful. The other way is to, is to really just say, you know, working with a designer is a very personal decision and I just don't think I'm the right fit for you. And, okay. and to give them some suggestions, like I think your look is a little bit more modern than mine is, or which is not true because I will be very adaptable, but you, you can usually find a reason. Or otherwise, if they really want to work with you, then you can say I'm accepting new clients starting in September. And if they, if they want to wait, that sometimes helps fix the relationship a bit. Okay. So here's my questions to dig deeper on this topic. Okay. At what point in time do you find you're at the point? So, cause if you're giving pricing, I assume you've done a consultation. Does your right. process start with like, I'm pretty, I saw on your website, you do a phone call, then you do a consultation. Like all projects start with a consultation. Yeah. Okay. And they've yes. paid, I saw like your pricing online, 350 for your consultation. Yes. Okay. Then you, they've paid you, you've gone there. Yeah. Now you're like, they're not a good fit. Yes. And they're not the price high person. They're just the, that, that person that you're saying, I don't think we're a good fit. How do you handle that given like, do you care? That, that I've just paid? taken their money? Is that why? Yeah. How okay. do you deal? <laughs> I try to give, yeah, that's a great point. I give people as much value for the consultation as possible. I try, I essentially approach a consultation as if there is no further project. Oh, okay. I just, I, I tell them that I want to give them the most value for my time in mm-hmm. that one hour in their home. Okay. So I'll, I spend an hour in their home and then I spend an hour writing up notes at which I give them a summary of my recommendations for every room that we talked about, approximate furniture sizes, paint colors. Like I don't always give specific paint colors, but I'll say, consider painting it on a pale you know, a warm beige or whatever the case might be. Um, so I do, tr- I, I want to make sure that they've gotten the value for that yeah. and that, that, is, that the consultation then becomes a complete service that is completed and done and passed on back to them. That's really good. You know, cause it's funny the way I approach it and maybe I need to rethink this is I, I kind of consider my consultation is like one time only consultation or a project scope consultation. And in which case, maybe what I need to do is make sure that just in case I find a red flag, I have given them that like it was a one time. So that might be something I just need to tweak because yeah, you don't feel the warm fuzzies. You know, you've just paid me whatever you've paid me. And really we were approaching this, like it was going to be full service, but like red flags are flying everywhere. And like, now I don't know how to abort mission without feeling gross. I don't want to refund your money because I did still 
spend the time. Yes. Yeah. I, and then you're kind of devaluing your services at that point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. think that during the consultation, I don't talk anymore as if like it's a done deal. We're going to work together. I still speak in hypotheticals. If you choose to work with us or, you know, it, I, because of that exact reason. I, it's not that I want to give myself an out. I just want to give both my client and I the freedom not to make any commitment in that mm-hmm. consultation so that we can evaluate it once we have the full scope understood. Okay. So if you're in a consultation and the red flags were flying during the consultation in a situation, I don't, maybe this has never happened. Maybe it has where you're like, this is a hard no, this isn't about being paid enough money to do it. I don't want to work with this person. And they're like, okay, great. Like, so what are the next steps? Like, what do, what do you, are you, you know, what, how would you tell them then on the spot? Do you think, or would you like, I don't, if that hasn't happened, happened, I don't think I could tell them on the spot. I don't think I'd quite have the balls to do it. Yeah. No, me neither. <laughs> I, Oh yeah. I've only know. had one. I've only had one situation that was really like that. And it's which the house was like a crazy it was the definition of a crazy cat lady. Yeah. And I just thought like, I'm pretty sure I will be allergic to this project. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I just did, and it was the truth. I, it, I met her in say May and I said I was starting new projects in September and yeah. I didn't hear from her again. So yeah. Yeah. That seemed to work. That I, to be honest, if you do tell people, but then there's the whole, like, I should have told you if, if it's this whole thing. Cause I feel like if I'm on the phone and I, if I want to use the, when we can start as an excuse, which happens to be like, I'm on the consultation and now it's January. And I say, I can't start till May. I feel like they would say, you should have told me that on the phone. So it's like, oh, okay. You know, this is how much I overthink things. And I'm like, no, 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 Oh my God. So true. I, so I had that same problem and I kind of forgot how I've cha- how I fixed it. I fixed it by having two start dates. I start projects September 1st and February 1st. What do you mean? I only take on like any new clients, they're either lined up to start September 1st or February 1st. So I don't just take clients on as they come. So I'm so I tell confused them, and my okay. mind is really blown right now. I need yeah. to elaborate harder. It, it might be a little bit of a strange way to do it. It's just, well, I'll, I'll explain more. Okay, so I typically used to just take things on as they came. Yeah. But what I found to be the problem was everybody had a different start date, obviously. Sometimes I'd find everyone was at a different price because over the course of time, I've upped my hourly rate. Yeah. And um, I also never knew when projects were going to finish because some of them just you build a relationship and then you're done the kitchen. They want to do the next room and then the next room and then the next room. And so I was having a hard time managing my workload, which I know is one of the questions you wanted to talk about. Um, And I take six weeks off in the summer to go back to Prince Edward Island with my kids. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's not as easy as it sounds. I'm often like up at five in the morning doing emails and I'm trying to get better at that for this year coming. So that's why I just decided if I, if I have it, so anybody that contacts me, you know, from May onwards, mm-hmm. I'm essentially qualifying them for a September 1st start date. So I will still go through the process of like putting together a proposal, budget, scope. I will get their deposit. And I will sometimes even start to have inspiration discussions with them, but I don't actually start until September 1st. Well, I actually said September 15th because first week of school is a gong show. Um, yeah. And then the same thing, anyone who approaches me in the fall, I do the same thing. I meet with them. I do a consultation. I let them know right up front that I'm planning for February start dates. If it can be earlier, I'll accommodate them. And if it's a small job, I can fit it in. And uh, it's worked really well for me. It's, it's sifted out the people that aren't serious. And also it's given people time to digest and absorb the budget and plan for it. My mind is blown. Okay. When you say proposal, what does a proposal mean to you? Sure. So, okay. I come to your house. Maybe that's like different. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on my process because I've just sure. developed, like I've just kind of evolved into it and okay. may, there could be a lot better way of doing things. So I do a one hour consultation. Okay. So say you call me today. I come next week. We do a mm-hmm. one hour consultation. I tell you, I'm currently, my plate is currently full and the February one is a bit funny because sometimes come May, I can start something else or even earlier. But so I will be honest, I'll tell them exactly that. I've just, I've got a full plate for February. I need, I won't have a, I won't have any availability for at least a couple of months. Um, and so as long as they are okay with that, then we still come in and do the consultation. I give them as many ideas during the consultation as possible. So if they, and I say this, I say, if you choose to go and do this project on your own or with somebody mm-hmm. else, I want to at least have given you as many ideas and pointed you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Charge them for the consultation done. Then 
typically they'll say, okay, we would like to know what it would, what it would cost to do this project with you. So Mm -hmm. for you to execute on it. So then I go through the process of putting together a proposal. And this is the part I'm wondering if I could do it differently because I probably put in about two hours of free work at this part. At at this time, I will put together a a detailed proposal of what I would be doing for them. So, you know, it's scope. So it's scope. So it's like the living room, including flooring, wall covering, renovating the fireplace, adding furniture, adding drapes. So it's, it's, it's not saying I'm going to pick out a blue section all, but it's like, you know, all the furnishings. Yeah. And then, and then I do a, I usually do a high and a low budget. Yeah, I do so all I can, this too. Okay, great. So I send that off to them. We have a little bit of back and forth about what the realistic budget is, what the realistic scope is. And then if they, then if they agree to it and I ask for a 50% deposit of my design fees up front. So I don't do a flat fee, but I estimate my design fees. Yep. And I do a 50% deposit of that up front. And then they have essentially secured their spot for whatever start date I give them. Does that Would make you- sense? Totally makes sense, which is probably September 1st, but you say maybe we can start early if things, uh, yes. Like the, the, the February one is, is a bit funny because sometimes I can start things late spring. Yeah. So it just depends on the size of the project. And then I also find so many of my clients aren't around in the summer that they don't want to work. They don't want to be doing this in the summer anyway. So some of them might say, okay, well we could get started a little bit in June and then we'll just do it in September. Okay. And your proposal is like, I'm telling you what the price is from beginning to presentation all the way to like installation of like all the furnishings and styling. I used to have different product offerings where I, one of them would be just, just the room plan, just the furniture plan. But I rarely found people that wanted that. Um, And all that ever was, was me just giving them a shopping list to go to retail stores. Yeah. So I don't do that anymore. It just worked. It's, it kind of died off. Now it's always the full deal, the full meal deal. So it's from, from inspiration, floor plan measurements, all the way to installation. And so my proposal includes you, we suggest you're going to have to spend this on all the furniture and this on our fees as a total budget. I love it. That's, that's a hundred percent what I do too. Okay. Um, and it a hundred percent takes me almost two hours as well. Yeah. And I, but it's necessary because it's the time I take to about to evaluate yep. what does this project worth to me? Totally. And it's so important for them to like, a lot of people say they don't provide that budget to clients early on, but I need to know, first of all, I want to know that you're willing to spend the amount of money that I need to spend on furniture to deliver something that I feel proud of. Exactly. I think is helpful to you that you're not going to come back to me in a year and say like this fell apart. And also that I can hopefully source to the trade so that I can make profit off of my furniture or whatever, because that's huge and key. Um, And so, and then it also, like I find if I were to just verbally say, well, it should be 75 K they would be like, what? But then if you you show them, yeah, they're like, Oh, Okay. And then all they do is either take out a room or whatever, which is normally yeah. what happens for the most part. But I pretty much made it like, I used to do things where I, and I had it on my website, but I took it off. Like I used to have things like you, we could do as little or as much as you want. But now I'm like, no, for full service. And I will make the call after a consultation. If somebody isn't full service, whether they want just a plan only, I'm going to make that call based on whether I think I want to work with this client and maybe yeah. I'm like slow right now and I could use the money. But Otherwise, also those no, clients don't really come, they don't really exist anymore. I feel like people that just want to plan, they just go to West Elm and bring a picture of their, bring a picture of their living room and just do it there. Like I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Like the people who want just a plan are the biggest headache clients Well, and I don't know if they ever execute on that plan. (laughs) They don't. And then like, you know, they come to you and they say, oh, can I have just a plan? And then you like take all this time to put together an option for them, which I recently did. And then all of a sudden now they're like, that plan is still too much for them. And it's like, I've just wasted so much time. Like, so I'm just, at the end of the day, I want to be inspired by my projects, which means I don't work on super tight budgets. Like my budgets aren't massive, but I have. Do you set a minimum budget? Do you, do you communicate a minimum budget? I I do um, low, medium, high. And low is not like Ikea prices. I mean, I'm not trying to claim that my, like, I'm like luxury by any stretch of the imagination at all, but I have definitely 
managed to get to a point where I'm much more realistic. I want to know that I have options. I want to know that I can go to the trade and I can actually make some money. I'm not sourcing from Ikea. Like I'm not saying like maybe a piece here or there, whatever. I'm with you. I, I, um, I, I completely agree. And it's, there's no value for the client to hire a designer no. to source Ikea. No. And it's, and I say to them, could you do, could you hundred percent furnish your room for less than the budget I'm providing? Yes. But that, if that's what you want, I'm not the right designer for you. Yeah. And it, it just doesn't make sense. I'm not going to feel good about putting furniture in your home. That's going to fall apart in a year. Yeah. Not that like probably some of the furniture is still like not the best quality, even so, even at like higher prices. You get, you get what you pay for. Totally. But anyways, that's just, it's, I'm, I get, I don't know how you, what are your, your, your leads like? Do you find that you get a lot of like unrealistic low budget people that flow through your leads? Um, I don't, except I got a hilarious one a few weeks ago. We went and did a consultation at this beautiful home. I would, you know, hopefully they don't listen to this podcast. I know, right? <laughs> I don't think, no offense. I don't think they do. They're not. No, I'm sure they don't. Otherwise, yeah. they got lady. Yeah, they need to find something to do with their time. <laughs> it would be really weird. But I worry about that all the time. Trust me. That's why I don't. I don't put this on any of my social channels, like where it's client facing. Yeah. So anyway, okay. So it is. It was a beautiful home. I would assume it was a three million dollar house, and. Yeah it demanded a certain level of furnishings, obviously. And so we went in to talk about doing two rooms, one very large room in particular. And I put together as part of the proposal, I put together a budget because I got the sense that they really didn't know what it was going to take. Mm -hmm. And so I said, let me do this for you right away. I did it with my consultation notes. I did a budget just, and I really liked them, you know? Yeah. So the budget came out to 78,000 and they, they called and they were funny about it. They weren't insulted, but they were laughing at their own ignorance that their budget was 10,000. And so well, and that, that's an Ikea happened? budget. Yeah. Oh. Um, they, the they also, no, for these two rooms. Oh, okay, good. But one was a very large room that required yeah. like custom mill work. And yeah. So they were great. Um, and they said, we really would like to work with you. So let us take this away and think about it. And maybe we just do one room for now or whatever. We haven't concluded it yet, but I'm so yeah. glad I did that right up front. Yeah. So one thing I've definitely learned is that when you're talking to somebody who, who does have price as a high priority, it's so important to throw numbers out immediately and yes. just, you, you need to know now that my minimum design fees are $5,000. And if you no matter how small the project, it starts at 5,000. And if that doesn't meet, like if that doesn't meet your expectations, like we need to just shut this down now. There's no sense in us continuing to waste each other's time. I mean, obviously don't say it like that, but I, I yeah. made an FAQ page on my website. So now what oh, happened? Great idea. Well, and I'm trying to, I've been working with a branding um, agency in the States and she helped like come up with a new tagline for me and a bunch of new copy. And she was like, you need to just do a little more positive spin on, on that page. Cause it was a lot of, I don't do this and I don't do yes. that. Yeah. But, but I, I find it so important. Um, I also want to add like a link to a full house furnishing high, medium, low, like just base. Like, so people can kind of come up with those numbers on their own before we even talk. But it basically says on it, things like, you know, you can have things fast quality or um, fast you know, cheap. And, yeah. Yeah, but you can't have them all and just yeah. like stuff like that and also the like people's like they want to they call you and they're like we want to work with you now it's like I'm not available now and I, I have to be honest I don't think you're gonna I think you're gonna struggle to find a designer who's just available now like and yeah, also and I've usually found presentation and those people that call you like I had a woman call me once and I called it like a design 911 she called me at nine o'clock at night. And the only reason I answered is because I thought it was the babysitter. Totally. And um, she was having like a design 911. I don't know what to do with this room. And I was still earnest and early in my career that I was like, I, if I could, I'd get in a taxi yeah. and come to you right now. But yeah. like, I could be there tomorrow. And it didn't work out. It, like, yeah. that's just not the right personality type. And it's typically like, those are, might be the type of, Oh, I had another idea about a red flag, actually, I meant to say, and this is the same client I'm talking about. Typically, those are the type of people that between the consultation and one week later, when you follow up with them, they've just decided on a whim to go to HomeSense and buy a bunch of furniture. Yeah. When, when clients go rogue, that's a huge red flag. Oh, my God. 
It's such a red flag. Also a question I like to ask now is where do you shop? Do you online shop and get a feel for like how familiar? I, I want to know that you shop at decent stores, but I also want to know that you really don't online shop and that you for don't. furniture or clothing? For furniture. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. although it is good to know where they shop for, for clothing too. Another designer yeah. told me that, but, but, um, I don't know how we got here, but I don't care. <laughs> um, no, but it's, it's, uh, it is, I got a lead yesterday. So I have like a form that you fill out and what happens is, um, I get an email that shows me the answers that they, they put in and then they get an automatic email right away. So you can't schedule your call on my, on my, website work. Okay. I want to try a little bit to qualify them a bit more before they schedule that call because I am, I still get lots of really low budget leads. Mm -hmm. So it says budget for this project, $500. And it says like before design fees. And then it says, um, you know, we want to make this room beautiful and functional. And then it says like, I want to start ASAP. And then it's, you don't have time to do it. And it's like, (laughs) <laughs> so then okay, I, so then I get an email that says like please read the FAQs also look at my portfolio if you haven't done that and then just stuff like that right um and then it says book you know after you've done that book a call so at least I give them a little time to do that I don't have to That's reach out nice. right away yeah um but this is the stuff that I get yeah it's right so did they book a call and so it came through last night, um, okay. probably like at 8 p.m. So they have a, I find that it does, there is generally like a lag of like three days before someone books a call. And I actually see that reply and think, okay, I'm going to sit down tonight when I've got time. And yeah, which is great. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes I find, I mean, people will be trigger happy and they'll, they'll reach out and then they just get busy and it's like, yes. this falls on the bottom of the list, yes. but I'll, yeah. they'll be, I'll still follow up. Like, so I give them a few days. So now they're in my lead funnel and I will follow up, you know, whatever. What do you use to manage your pipeline or lead funnel? Okay. So right now, um, okay. So right now I use Dubsado, but I'm, I'm going to be tweaking my process a little bit. So I have like uh, Dubsado is a tool that you can actually, um, track like clients through various stages. And that's how I've recently tweaked some things. So that's what spits out actually, no, it's active campaign now that spits out the automated email to them. I'm probably going to level up my active campaign to the CRM. I just like this all kind of the changes just happened probably in the last month. Um, but what's going to happen, I'm going to work with the same branding um, agency that helped me with my, with my language on my website and just mm-hmm. coming up with like what my message is and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. But we're going to automate it so that Lead comes in, they get the automated email, book your call. When they book a call, great. They're going to get another automated email that says whatever to prepare for your call, then I'm going to call them, no big deal. But if they fill out the form and they don't book the call, more automation and like lead nurturing will happen automatically so that I can remove, because I do find lead management to be a bit cumbersome and sometimes Mm -hmm. it falls through the cracks and I am like, okay, I need to go make sure I'm following up. Yes. The ones who didn't book a call and, and that can be a little difficult. So I'm yeah. trying to make it all automated. I'm trying to automate everything I can and I will intervene where I need to, where I'm like, this is one that is really of interest to me. Like I'm going to intervene more on a personal level, but so that's kind we of should, where I'm at. I'd love to have another call about processes because I, we've, we're just currently switching from design docs to Ivy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Ivy. I use Ivy. Yeah. Okay. And then, and using MailChimp, um, and I was doing things too manually before. Like I just keep all my, my pipeline in an Excel document. So I won't lie. I'm, I'm very like tech technologically, like I use a lot of tech stuff, mm-hmm. but I also still like, I use QuickBooks, but I still have a spreadsheet with my invoices because I like to, I like to see like, okay, if, if I build out like 20,000 for furniture and it, 10,000 of that was cost of goods. I like to know that really my real number is 10,000. So I do a yeah. bit of that manually. That's what I, I'm going to miss about Design Docs. Design Docs was great for that, those types of reports. So is Ivy. Um, I think I'm just not like using it to the fullest. And mm-hmm. I, sometimes I just, it's one of those cases of like, I don't have time to totally figure things out inside and out. So I just keep referring back to like, Right, your old habits or yeah, manual stuff. <laughs> and I do the same thing with leads. Like I have a spreadsheet that I track my leads so I know where they came from and I can do a report for myself. Like how many people lead, discovery call, 
how many people became a consult. So I can start to understand like, well, 50% of people are consultations. Like, so I can get a good idea of like how many people I need to try to get in my funnel and and yeah, and I'm, we're not talking about hundreds of people here. You know, I get, no. you know, I maybe get every two weeks, I probably get what I would consider a lead. Yeah, um, same. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's not like I'm being inundated with these no. calls. But, it, but over the course of years, it does add up and it is nice to learn from them for sure. Absolutely. And also, you know, if you can get them, if, if your lead comes, for me, I find that if I can get a lead, even if it never turned into a call, into my email list, if they say, yes, actually add me to your email list. So, um, I can then continue to, I do find that people will come out of the woodwork after you send out that email on that project that you just, or they become a great referral source for you too. Totally. Yes. It's very odd. The people that refer, I mean, Mm -hmm. Facebook groups, I'm like, I don't even know you and why you're even great. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. (laughs) That's why like networking is just so very important, but okay. I want to ask you more questions because I run out of time. Okay. I have so many questions. This has been so good. Um, so you already talked a little bit about your pricing and that's a little bit of what I've been doing too. So you do, you estimate for the client, how many hours you think it's going to be. Yep. And then you track your hours. Right. And what do you use to track your hours? Well, I was using design docs and now I'm using Ivy. Got it. Okay. I use toggle. I don't find that. I'm going to tell you what I use and why I use it in case you find this at all helpful because I want to track more than just, okay, so here's what I do. Um, and I might be changing it cause I feel like I've been coming in below my hours that I've estimated. And I'd rather just be like, that was a flat fee because if I say I'm estimating hours, then I have to be true to that. But if I told yes. you this was a fat flat fee and that was the value you put on me working for you and I come in half Under. those hours yeah. and that's yeah. gravy train. But <laughs> so I'm trying to monitor that right now, but I use toggle because what I do, I do the same thing. 50%. I used to do 70 per, I used to price by phase, but now I'm doing the whole project. So it's 50% up front. So I call that like, I tag it time block one. So every time I track, if I know that, you know, 50 hours was time block one, I can know when I'm getting close to 50 hours. And then, um, you know, then when I actually get the other 50%, I can track those hours and call it time block two. So I can like, so toggle it down to deduct from a total. Exactly. So I find it really helpful because otherwise to my knowledge, Ivy does have a tracker, but it's kind of like, that's not, you know, what their area of expertise is like the purchasing and all that. And they have added a time function, which mm-hmm. is great. But to me, it's just not detailed enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, so I do the same thing. Um, so what happens, how often are you like over hours and how do you approach that with clients? Uh, so I typically stay pretty close to my estimated hours. And, and if I'm, I think I also give the client the benefit of the doubt in that I'm, I'm often, I'm probably not recording everything that I should be. Right. Yeah, and, I and that's I something I, the nature, yeah. Yeah. The nature of the job. Um, but if I'm getting I, I, at the halfway point, so, and halfway point usually being in, in that, like once we're, if, if my budget was for 40 hours, as I'm approaching 20 hours, we touch base. And then I also try to think about like the halfway point of the project. If mm-hmm. we had a, like an estimated installation date of June, then I'd work backwards from there. So I just update the client when we're reaching the halfway point And then as we're reaching the end mm-hmm. and I only really had an, a, an issue once with where a client said, you know, this was a lot more than I had anticipated. And it was really just because we had had a lot of increase in scope in the second half of the project. And that was a good learning experience for me. I didn't really stop to remind them exactly how many hours that was going to contribute. I know it's, I find that the biggest thing for us is managing client expectations, mm-hmm. but then it can be very alarming to clients almost, but it's really hard. The, so I started reading my contract at the consultation, which is like Ella Kimberly oh. Selden. And okay. I really like, like, I hate it, but I like it. Um, good to know. Because, because um, I'm basically verbally, I, I don't like to assume anybody's reading my contract. And I find that, for me to have a really good relationship with a client, it's really about managing the worst case scenario. And mm-hmm. if it just all of a sudden 
they didn't fully read the contract. And it's like, well, that wasn't the contract. I never want to say that either. I know. I know you don't want to be that guy. No. And so what I do is I just, I read, I take them through the, it takes like 20 minutes, but I take them through the contract and then I elaborate like, you know what? Pretty much without fail, something's going to be delayed or something's going to be backordered or something is going to go wrong. Like that's pretty much just like going to happen. There's a lot of so, human factors in yeah. our, in our and, job. And so that's why I'm here and I'm going to do my best to kind of work our way through that. It's like delays are going to happen. You know, things are going to break or they're going to show up damaged. And I just want to say as much as you can. And then all of a sudden now it's like, well, they just added to the scope, but then I forgot to say that's going to add. It's just a constant state of like having to be like right on the ball and making sure you can deal with it all in order to not make them upset later. No, I, I, it's a really good point. And again, I'd love to have another conversation yeah. about that, about contracts. Yeah. Um, because I don't know if my contract even describes enough of the worst case scenario. And it is a really good point. Okay. Here's what we should do. We should just meet for lunch at some point or at yeah. some point, And we just like, we just need to have a big that. like mastermind session. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. Okay. Um, we're doing that. Um, okay. So if somebody does add to your scope, how do you handle that? Like, okay, that one time, did, you know, you said it was a learning lesson. I find there's always scope that gets added. And I'm like, yeah, really good at, well, that was just one little table they asked for. Right. So I'm like, right. well, it'll, so how do you, do you have a process? Yeah, if it's more it? than one little table, I mean, usually it's a room. Yeah. Um, I try to, I do a phase two on the proposal. So I send out a new version. Well, mm-hmm. my proposal that once it's accepted morphs into my contract, like it fills mm-hmm. out the scope of my contract. I then would update that with a phase two. What and product do you, what software do you use that does that? I do it myself. Oh, I see. Okay. That's yeah. Dubsado does that actually. Once they accept okay. the proposal, the contract actually is the next thing they have to accept, which is why I really like it. Yeah. That being okay. said, I might be tweaking that process a little bit because I want to, automate through active campaign, which is like MailChimp. Yeah. I might tweak that a bit, but also with Ivy, I can send a contract and keep track of it. I never, I never send contracts through Ivy. It's I send furniture proposals through Ivy, but that's not to say that's probably not a thing people do. I don't know. How yeah. Do that. Maybe we should figure that out. Cause I would, I prefer to keep as many things on the same platform as I could. I hear that. And yeah. um, if I could like build my own platform, I just would, yeah, oh, it would be amazing. It would, it would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I, this is one thing that I'm very curious how other designers do this. So for you, you go to presentation, you present all of the scope. Like I have three rooms I'm showing you. Do you do mostly furnishing or do you do a lot of reno stuff? I just do light reno. Okay. Same. Like, yeah. Like removing a fireplace, uh, getting a powder room. That's kind yeah. of the extent of it. Okay. So it's a lot of furnishing-based stuff. It's window payments, rugs. Okay. Yeah. So you go to presentation, you present them all that. And then yeah. what is your next step for, let's say they've said everything's approved. Let's just pretend in a crazy yeah. scenario. I wish. You're at presentation. Okay. <laughs> and we just nailed it. Yeah. Okay. Let's not do that because that's not real life. You go to presentation, <laughs> you have a couple changes. Then you get to a point where you have an approved list of furniture. What do yes. you do next? I typically take the client on a shopping day, which is, I mean, they do pay for that. Um, but most clients like to touch and feel and sit on what they're going to buy. Um, the risk of doing that is they often will find new things that they like Mm -hmm. that I then have to integrate into the proposal. So I say, or into the, into the plans, I say that our, our design boards include one round of revision Mm -hmm. to protect ourselves against six rounds of revisions. Yeah. Um, so I typically do do a shopping day, at which point I also, I think it's a good opportunity to exhibit my expertise. I take them around to a variety of showrooms where everyone knows my name, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. and I take them for lunch. I pick them up often, or, you know, if that makes it easier. And, um, I try to, ha- I try to allow them to have an enjoyable furniture shopping experience. Cause most people find that extremely exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I can answer questions as we go and guide them through different things. Um, and ideally then select the exact, like, you know, you like this sofa that I showed you in a picture, but do you want it with down or not? Like, then we can, we can work on the specifics. Mm-hmm. I, in most cases, clients want to do that. They want to see it. Okay. So what are the usual suspects for where you're taking them? Like I, how oh, do you, where do you normally source your furniture okay. from? I go to... 
and I might be stuck in my ways. I might need some new, some new sources, but well, I, I find it hard in Canada. Like we don't yeah. have all the great, mm, anyway. I know, I know. I try not to think about that and just work with what we have. Um, so I take them out to TIDC, mm-hmm. formerly known as SOFA. Mm-hmm. And we go there to go to uh, Marc Antonio, Van Gogh, Renwell, Surya, Turquoise Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to like it when Dine Art was out there for wooden furniture. Um, then, yeah, but you don't know Dine Art? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what are you saying? Yeah. <laughs> Dine Art? Yeah, I know it's D-I-N-E? a tacky name. D I N E dash A R T. It was okay. just good quality Canadian made dining chairs and tables. Okay. Uh, then we'll do like the um, LT art shop, yeah. you know, that little circle in there. And sometimes I take them out to Sunpan. I know you like yeah. to source at Sunpan as well. So mm-hmm. those are my go tos. And then depending on the client, I find my clients tend to be a little bit more like, eclectic contemporary or not even really contemporary but I a lot of my clients are in large older homes and so typically they're not sourcing really modern furniture right if they are more modern then we go down and do King East or Liberty Village got it okay very interesting I've never heard this process before and so okay they've like you've established all of the pieces that are the final pieces are you kind of like going like, we're buying this here, 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 or are you like, I want everything approved and then we're ordering? Yeah. I don't buy things on the spot during that shopping day just because that takes time. Mm-hmm. So I usually, at the end of the shopping day, I update their design boards okay. and I update the budget, which are like, which is the purchase orders. Yeah. And I say, okay, here's everything we saw today, everything we agreed on. And this is exactly what it's going to cost. Okay. And then at that point they sign off, they pay a deposit on it. And, um, I submit all the purchase orders and there's always, there's always still things that are undecided at that point. Right. Yeah. It's rarely that it's all done. Yeah. There's always like straggler pieces for sure. Yeah. That's usually the majority of the items. Okay. The other thing I like about the shopping day is it gives me, an, I'm usually driving around with the client and it gives me a chance to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And I think it helps build the personal relationship. Okay. Are you okay to keep going a little longer? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to pick up my kids till 430. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is good. I really like it. So um, you, you were the one. Okay. Well, how do you deal with your trade discounts? I split my trade discount 50-50. So if my trade discount is 40%, I'm passing on 20% to the client. The exceptions to that are if the item is on sale, mm-hmm. I don't... I just, they just get it at the sale price. Yeah. Um, and then if the item is, the one I struggle with is like the small discounts, CB2, West Down, like the 10, the 15%, I still yep. split them, but it feels a bit annoying. It feels like we're just like splitting $11 in half. So I can't decide if I should go to just saying they get that full discount or they don't get any discount if it's under 15%. That's what I'm trying to yeah. decide. So here's I, what I decided. 10%, if it's under 10%, I give the full discount to the client. Okay, so here's what I decided. Tell me. <laughs> I, 2019 rolled around and I said, you know what? I'm not sharing my discounts anymore. I'm just not. I'm, I find that we have so much liability and I yeah. want to be the kind of designer that can make it right when I need to because I find, first of all, I don't find that, I don't know, like with Ivy... When you send them a proposal, it basically will say like, you can do it where, you know, okay, let's say that the product was $100 and I gave it to you for 90 and it'll say, okay, you got 10%. Right. So it doesn't like quantify that to like a tangible dollar amount. So it'll be like all your listed stuff, it'll be what you're paying, messages. and then it'll say like percent, which is great. I do not find that clients ever seem to pre- seem appreciative of it at all. I rarely can quantify it into a number unless I, I mean, maybe I could, maybe there's somewhere hiding an Ivy, which I'm sure there, it very well could be. I wish that we could translate it into like, this is how much you saved. And I, I used to use that as a way to help sell people into working with me, but nobody ever asked me about trade discounts. It's very rare. Um, the only reason they know about it is when I tell them. And I don't find them to be that appreciative of it because I feel like they don't really mentally register it. Hmm. And so, so then, you know, I've had issues where I've like eaten the cost of furniture because I yes. want to get right. Yeah. And that can really like on yeah. a small business, especially like a new business. Yes. No, I'm I like, adds up. Yeah. I, I don't like, I'm learning everything as I go. And, and I just, 
I just rationalize it in my head. You're going to pay less than retail. If it's retail, you're paying retail. If it's my trade sources, you're going to pay uh, less than the retail price. And that's pretty much where I'm going to... Okay, so... And I'm not putting anything in my contract about it. I'm going to play it by ear based on the client. So let me... Okay, let's try to figure this out. So just so I can understand. Let's use Van Gogh as an example. Sure. Okay, so let's say for sake of ease, the Van Gogh couch is $1,000 retail. Yeah. So you're going to get it for $600. Yep. What are you going to sell it to your client at? I would probably say it retails for this, but you're going to get it for this, but I'm going to make sure that the profit makes sense for me. So okay. like that, so basically when it comes to my, trade, I, we, you're going to get less than retail. Cause my, that's my issue is like, you know, Casa Life is also selling that Van Gogh couch and I don't yeah. want my client to find it cheaper. So my job, yeah. So what I'm going to do is those suspect, you know, those usual suspects that you know are selling on Wayfair. I'm going to do my research beforehand to make sure that you're getting a better deal. Like I think they call it um, um, MAP pricing, so minimum advertised pricing, which is like allowable for vendors to be doing it. Um, I want to at least. I'm going to do a search. Like I feel like. Yeah. This coach, this chair is probably on Wayfair. I'm going to do a little quick search here because I want to make sure that you're getting a better price with me, but I'm not, my contract no longer says I share discounts. I'm not even really? going to bring it up unless I took it out. I took it out completely. I'm not even going to bring it up. If somebody asks me, then I'll say, you know what, your uh, retail, um, you're going to pay retail uh, if I'm working like CB2. But the benefit is, if I use trade sources, you're going to pay less than retail. So, because the thing is, I want them to want to use my trade sources. Yes, so that's true. Go, but so, you don't quantify what that trade discount is. You just, you do give a discount, but you don't quantify what it is. No, not off the hop. I'll just say it'll depend yeah. where it's being sourced. And for me, it's going to depend like, you know what, has this client been amazing? And, you know, I'm making a really good amount. I want to give them something. And yeah. You know, nothing. I had a client recently that did a really large order, like three sofas from a high-end sofa place. And I wanted to get her over the line on it. Um, And so I I, I said, which is not not totally the truth, but I said, the vendor will give an additional 5% discount for orders over $15,000, which was was what I was giving her. But um, it, it was just to get them over the line. So yeah, I agree. Sometimes you have to customize it. Yeah, and so but like, I think on that note, I'm going to stop passing on my discount for the little idly piddly things because it's just annoying. And and, and, and at seven percent, they don't care. Yeah. And it's like the amount. It's yeah, it's such a headache. And it's like if you want to go order that thing on your own, go for it. Yes, but I really rather you didn't because I don't know. Okay, I have more questions. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but here's the other thing I'll do. Like I might. Okay, I have made what I've realized is so, for example, a client recently, so homie God, like you said, they're not listening to this, but it would make no sense if clients listen to this podcast. But um, <laughs> she needed, she were doing drapes, and you know, I picked a fairly expensive fabric. And so I basically gave it to her like just barely above my cost. But I made that choice because I wanted, like, I'm like, I really want her to. I want to, this project wasn't really profitable on the, on the product front. I wanted her to get the, the drapes. I wanted to be done with it or whatever the reason, yes. but I will, I made the conscious decision not to say I'm giving it this to you at my cost, because as soon as I say that out loud, they know that I'm getting like, and they're going to start asking for it. So instead, I think even like another client, um, we're, we're swapping out sun glow shades. We, we did the like type where you like pull it down and it goes back up and they didn't like that. So they wanted to go to the chain. So I found out what the price would be to like take the existing shade and yes. turn it into a chain shade. And I was like, you know what? I want them to do this. Like yes. I really want them to move forward with this. It was going to cost $300. And I said, and that's what it was going to cost through them. But I lied and I said, they're going to give you 25%, but I'm actually paying the 25%. But I didn't want to say it was me because then I'm like opening it up. Totally. To that you, that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it's like, you know what? The vendor's so great. My relationship with the vendor's yeah, so great. Yeah, they're yeah. going to give you 25% because I just want them to do it. You just and, want it to be done. Yeah. And I feel like that the optics of like 20, it sounded great. And so, but I wasn't, I, I've made, I realize now the less I say how much anything about discounts, the less of like a monster I create. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And as you, and if you set your stage, the stage, right. As that ideally that relationship continues and it just gets better, like it gets better and better. If you don't bring it up in the beginning, then it never becomes a thing. Totally. And then I can say like, this fabric is really expensive, but they've also spent so much everywhere else that Mm -hmm. I'm just going to give it to them at the cost and we'll just pretend that's the retail and I can get this amazing project that looks high, really premium. And, you know, I still made lots of great money and it's all like, I feel good about it, but I'm not doing it because I'm, you know, I basically told them to do that. I do that. So anyway, (laughs) that was a decision I made because I'm like, you know what? I want to have a cushion profit in an account that's ready for me to deal and make it right when I need to and have that be like a really nice client experience. Yes. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what they're going to remember, not the discounts that they saved. It's so true. No, you're right. That's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, I haven't done it yet because I literally just, (laughs) but my contract's updated. I'm ready, locked and loaded. I haven't um, started a new project that way, but I don't feel like it's going to be an issue at all. Okay. Let's go back to you're purchasing all the products. Um, You're going to send all the POs. Do you use a receiver? I haven't to date, although it's something I've been thinking about. I actually booked a call with somebody um, for next week. So I do use a couple of different delivery guys, teams that... I would consider our white glove mm-hmm. and they, when possible, we pick, we line up to pick up as many and deliver as many things at once. Okay. Talk um, to me about how that looks. Like- so, you know, I've got a delivery service that like, for example, last week he picked up some furniture from Sunpan and furniture from LT market and brought it all together for the client. Okay. Rather than how do you using, make it so that it's like already around the same time? To be I just, well, I know that, I start by ordering the item that's going to take the longest and then mm-hmm. I trickle the orders in. Like a lot of places you can say, this might be in stock now, but I don't need it till March. Mm-hmm. And so I just, try to, I just try to do my best to line them up. It doesn't always work that way. And it, but usually I can get a, usually what happens is near the end of the project, there'll be a two week period where everything will become available. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'll just tell my client, it's going to be a really busy couple of weeks. Also, a lot of my clients are home or they have somebody at home that can receive deliveries. So that's easy. Um, and, and then within that two weeks, I do try to bulk things together on one day as much as possible. It doesn't work that way all the time. Okay. So when that being said, I would like a, I would like to, I am looking into starting to work with a receiver, especially for larger projects. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I started doing it and it's amazing. Who are you using? I use a team. Okay. Um, it's amazing. Here's what I realized when I did the, made the mistake of furnishing an entire home and I did not use a receiver. It was a nightmare. And with the wrong client, I find what happens is they don't see the whole thing. Totally. And they start to question. Yeah. And then yeah, each individual thing coming in the door. Yeah. And it just becomes a real problem. <laughs> so yeah. So, so how now, do you build in the pricing for that into your... Yeah. Okay. So what I do is on proposal. So... In the contract, when I've read to the client, in the contract, I, I say that you're going to pay 5 to 15% um, estimated fee for delivery receiving installation. And what that goes to is, I think I say sometimes it can include like even wallpaper installation. It really just depends. But it includes like a receiver, like taking all of the, the furnishing, inspecting the boxes, making sure everything's okay. Then it being delivered on one day, white glove, they get rid of everything. And yeah. since I started doing that, I've had no problems. Like, so basically what that looked like to translate it into dollars, like I had a project that was like $40,000 and I added, I think it was like 3,200 that I just kept in a, in an account that was to cover any shipping because we never know what shipping is even yes. to the receiver, right? Yes. So yeah. then I update my, my purchase orders with the actual cost and then that the funds get moot, whatever. And then, then that's just like a little like fund that contributes to the shipping to the receiver. Then it's being held for shipping on installation day. Yes. And sometimes it even covers like art. Insul- it just depends on like what happens. And I just play it by ear based on, how big the project is. I roll it into the proposal though. So then when it's $40,000, I say, okay, $40,000, you give me a check for that. And I'm going to keep track of everything. And you're going to get like a final amount at the end of the project. And if somehow we're below, like I need additional funds because something weird happened, then I'll let them know. But it's great because 
sometimes like something weird will happen where I have to like go away to get some, a shipper to do something random. And it was like 50 bucks. And it's like, well, I don't have to like bother the client. Yes. I just take it from the fund. And then, you know, they get a report later. Yes. It's like a massive amount that was unexpected. I would deal with it, but yes. it's worked really, really well for me. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, okay. But uh, I find like now I'd probably do like a two day installation. Day one would be probably art and furniture. And then day two would be accessories, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Um, okay. You know what? I feel like we, yeah, we've gone over time. So I, I'm going to ask you one more question. Uh, you were talking about how you schedule your clients. So how many clients do you like to juggle at one time? Yes, I typically have about 12 active clients, but um, they're not all in full go mode, right? Right. Like, so I would say when there's 12 that I'm like in communication with, there's four of them that are really active right now this yeah. month. Yeah. But there's, you know, there's different stages. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I have eight right now in varying stages. Like some are just yes. like on the way out, but yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's really it's hard. hard. And yeah. so do you have like other, do you have employees? Yeah. So I have an office administrator that works with me three days a week mm-hmm. doing a lot of the admin stuff. Um, and then I have somebody doing marketing one day a week. And so she's posting Instagram, managing comments, engagement, some research. And then I have a design assistant. So someone with the same, same education and training as me, but to your point, she doesn't want to run a business. Yeah. She likes to be a freelancer. So she works with me between two and four days a week. And that's just new. Like that just started in the fall. I'd had a design assistant in the past too, um, but they weren't quite the right fit for like my, my brand. Yeah. Um, so this is, this new one's working out really well. And all, in all three of those cases, all three of those women are able to increase hours over time. Like it, it's a really nice starting point, but none of them need full time right now. Um, but they all, I think, can grow with me as my business grows. And do they work from your house or do you have an yeah, office? So I, have, I have an office in my home. Okay. And, uh, Mine looks they, a hot mess, but yours looks Yeah. Well, you can see it's all about the same over here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. They all work with me out of my house. They're not usually all here on the same day, but we've got a decent yeah. size office here with three okay. desks. Okay. Um, and are you good at delegating? No, no, it's a real struggle. Yeah, neither. I'm working on it. I am trying. I am trying. Yeah. So, how long have you been working with the admin person? Because that's where I I have somebody right now, two days a week. But like, how long has that been? That's been since September. But I did have somebody else for about a year prior. yeah, it's been since September. And what I learned in my first round with an okay. admin is that you have to put a lot of work into training up front and set some milestones to see if they're meeting the expectations. Keep in mind, I worked in HR for 10 years. So yeah. I was able to do a good job description and an interview guide for the position. But that being said, it's been four months and I'm still not at the point where I completely can take her for granted. Like I said, we still need to work together a lot to establish the correct routines. Yeah. But I think what's important is that you find someone that's always willing to take on more and is proactive. That's probably the best part, right? You're looking for someone who's proactive and can ideally anticipate what it is that you need. Oh my God. Yeah. It's, it really is like, I need somebody who can be a self-starter. And really, if I give you a list of things in a spreadsheet on Google drive, like you can manage your way through that. Yes. Because yeah. otherwise you're not helping me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're experimenting with like... using Trello too, to manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were using Asana, but we just found it wasn't intuitive enough. Yeah. So we've been experimenting with, with using Trello and we use Dropbox for all of our shared files. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we, uh, it's hard. It's so hard. Well, the girl who's helping me, she's going to have a baby in March, so she'll be moving on. But, um, it, it really is like, I, I realized I had her at one day a week. I realized that you really need to have somebody at least two days a week. I think yeah. probably even three in order for there to be a real routine where you don't feel like, well, she's not going to be here until whatever day. So yeah. seven days is too long to wait. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah, did so- go up to two, but it's still scary. It's like, it's hard. I know. And it's a huge cost. It is. How much, um, how much do you uh, pay yours? If you 25 know. an hour. Oh, you're good. I do 20. 
true. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So we'll wrap up. Why, um, okay. We were going to talk about so many other things, but I knew that we would just like, this has been amazing. Okay. Um, so why don't you tell everybody where they can find you and um, like your social media handles, all that good stuff. Okay. You can find us on our website at mintdecor.ca or on Instagram, which is at mintdecorinteriors. And I meant to say, I do, I think you have a really cute Instagram. Like I like early on, I rem- I think it was yours that had like the handwritten tips. Yes. I thought yeah. that was really cute. Uh, I just couldn't keep up with that. My font, I was too picky about my hand font. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the problem. I, are you a perfectionist? Yeah. So yeah. I would do like six versions of each one of those. And I just yeah. thought this is a waste of time entries. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Okay, well, thank you so much for being here. I super appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. So there you have it. That was my interview with Michaela Burns of Mint Decor. And I'm pumped. I'm really pumped. We scheduled a lunch date. We are going to chat a little bit more and have a little bit of a mastermind session. And I'm really, really hoping that more Toronto designers are going to be willing to chat with me. I feel like that was so valuable. There was something a little bit closer to me, like the fact that she's also in Toronto. I feel like we can relate on a bit of a level um, that I might not relate to other designers. And um, I am also going to be interviewing Rebecca Hay, which is a designer here in Toronto. I think I have a scheduled podcast interview with her next Friday. I'm not a big liar or is it you know what no I don't have her scheduled in my calendar yet so I need to follow up with her actually but I know that she is excited to chat as well and she's also Toronto based anyways guys if you enjoyed that please leave me a review so that other people can find me and if you want to follow along my journey you can go to business homies on Facebook it's a Facebook group where I go live almost every week to chat about the random goings-ons of my business. Um, Yeah, that's all I got for you guys. Hope you enjoyed it. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye guys. And if I don't look like I'm paying attention, I might just be making a note. Like I'm still listening, but I might be like, you might've said something and I might, yeah, exactly. I'm just finding out what's (laughs) happening in my friends' lives.